This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. Ringgit and Sense is powered by Sun Life Malaysia. Good morning, you're tuned in to Ringgit and Sense, the show all about personal finance and I'm Wong Xiaoning. On the show today, we discuss the pros and cons of being a retail investor and what can be learned from the recent volatility in the Malaysian stock market. Joining me to discuss this is Ng Zhu Han. He's CEO and founder of Tradeview Capital, a boutique fund management company licensed by the Securities Commission Malaysia. Thank you for joining us. Now, firstly, let's take a look at Bursa Malaysia. And we did see a lot of volatile trading with many counters hitting limit up and then suddenly limit down within a, a space of a few weeks. I mean... Were you surprised by this? And what does this say about the fundamentals of our stock market? Thanks, Shining, for having me on the show. Um, I was honestly surprised because at the point in time, January 2024 was a very strong momentum for our uh, Busa KLCI. And, and we haven't seen such uh, foreign fund flow and net buy by the institutions for a long time. The net buys by foreign was close to $680 million, And that's something that we have long awaited. Usually when you see a meltdown in a certain segment of the stock market, it's triggered by certain sell-off, margin call mm. for selling on a bad wave of a, a movement of the market, not when the market is doing well. So if you ask me on that aspect, and am I surprised? Yes. But on the other aspect, when you look at the 16 leverage uh, inflated stocks, right, that was um, affected, limit down close to about 70-80% over the course of one week, you can see that they all share certain common similar similarities. And one of it is that a lot of them are involved in this kind of activities, we call it... Um, share pledging or warehousing in, in, in lack of a better wood. So they basically pledge their shares out to this in return for financing from institutions, brokers, banks, whoever you may think of. Huh? And as a result, what happened is that when it's called on upon them and they cannot repay, mm. it triggers a sell-off. So mm. what happened is the prices came down, right? Yes, and correct. there was what they call a margin call, correct, I presume. Correct, correct. And then if they can't pay that amount, then the brokers are forced to sell the shares. That's right. Which then creates, I would suppose, a domino effect that That's what right. we saw, isn't it? That's and we right. saw it session after session. Correct. The only question a lot were people were pondering is how come these 16 stocks, right? Mm. It, were they interlinked in any way? Uh, of course, the first three we know is related to uh, YNH and uh, Rapid and, and all, right? So it's the same common shareholders. But what I believe, uh, and of course, uh, we have to verify this fact, is that some of these uh, people where they warehouse these shares were common uh, institutions or common brokerage house or common funds for that matter that actually took their shares in exchange for money. Mm. So when one get caught, they pull, the other, they have to clear. And as a result, it triggered this 16 of them. That's my, my perception of the matter. Okay, yeah. so with all this heightened volatility in these specific stocks, what should the retail investor learn from this? I think the retail investor, first thing first, they have to ask themselves, why do they invest in a stock market? And it really depends on your personal goals. Some people say, I invest to preserve my wealth. Some might say, I want fast money. The problem is that when these kind of things happen, uh, everyone says, I should have thought so, or maybe the stock market is rigged against me. But the fact of the matter is, any right-minded, uh, uh, rational investors wouldn't touch stocks that are highly inflated, not backed by fundamentals or earnings. Yeah, because I, some of them had no profit, right? And exactly. even then, they were suddenly appreciated like 100, 200% in a very short space of time. Correct. And, and, and Xiaoning, you, you, you would probably observe that maybe this company that was only, uh, I, I saw it, uh, only making 2-3 million a year, mm. the market cap is close to a billion. I think that that brings into question of why do we invest in stocks in the first place? And 
these are some of the red flags that I feel that retail investors should pay attention to. And importantly, that when these kind of things happen, we have seen it happen with Cerebra Dynamic, we have seen, seen these kind of things happen with London Biscuits, and, and, and now this kind of uh, 16 stocks there. And there are many of them, many more of them in, in the stock market today. So I think retail investors have to be very conscientious of the fact of why you buy into a particular stock in the first place. And once you know why you buy into a particular stock, even if the, there's gyrations or fluctuations, you're not that worried. Mm. Especially if it's supported by dividend or solid earnings, right? The problem then comes is that if you invest in certain stocks knowing that these stocks will go up, let's just say 20-30% based on a hot rumor or, or stock tip by your, your relatives, right? Then later on when it plunge, you do not know what to do. Very simply because you can't get out. That's number one. Second is that there's nothing to stop or pre uh, present a flaw to the share price from dropping to a certain level. There's, there's no dividend to support. There's no fundamentals, That's right? right. Yeah. So then how should we recognise... Mm. Okay, so there's one, mm. know your motives to yeah. invest. Yeah. But then, assuming you know your motives, yeah. what's the next step? How do you stop yourself from investing in these, mm. would I dare call them ticking time bombs? Yeah, I think that's the perfect, perfectly right word to call it because we, we do not know what, what will happen. Mm. Prior to the collapse of these uh, 16 uh, stocks, right? If you notice the, the trajectory, they actually went up 20-30% each month in the prior months. Yeah. So close to about 100% in about 3-4 to four months' time. You know, one of them would probably be, be, be names that was already embroiled in certain issues prior to that. But yet people went into it saying And that sometimes uh, Bursa actually issues a... UMA. UMA, right? right? An unusual market activity Correct. query. Correct. Yep. And I think all this is what our regulators are doing their best to tell you what to do but at the same time they cannot impede market forces on dictating certain things so it all comes down to return investors whenever they look at stocks they tell themselves if I'm really going to go on a hot rumour mm. then if that's your decision I have to respect it right but the most important thing is you have to set a cut loss a stop loss right so let's just say you're, you're going this because your relative tells you you go 20-30% okay it went up 20% take it and get, get, get out. out of it right yeah. but the problem is that it's easy to buy selling is very hard Everyone can buy, you know. You tell somebody to just buy. The problem is no one knows when to sell. This this happens to fund managers as well, to be very frank with you. It's not only the retail investors. Professionals, the same thing. Yeah. When you make 20%, 30%, it hits your target price. Oh, let's wait a little while, we can go up more. And when it turns, you're not willing to cut or, or lock in the gains. Then that's where the problem starts. So it sounds like having absolutely a, a, a sense of discipline is key. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Discipline being prudent, I think these two are very, very important characteristics of any investors, professional or retail. And I think retail investors have certain advantage that I, I would like to express, uh, at least that's in my personal view, compared to professionals. We know professional fund managers, every year you have to deliver certain return to clients. You have a KPI, your bonus is back to it, your, yeah. your remuneration, it's very stressful, right? Mm. But we know the stock market if you do well, or at least you look at the legendary investors... Warren Buffett comes yeah. to mind. He's, uh, he's willing to wait. Yes, Peter Lynch. And and the funniest thing is that um, I, I was just joking with one of my clients is that he told me that he's 80 years old. How can you tell me long-term investing? How long-term can I go? The, the, the interesting thing is Buffett is 90 and he's talking about long-term investing. You know, uh, or Munger, before he passed away, he was 99 and he's still talking about long-term. Long term is not really putting the money just long term. It's a mindset, right? When you invest in something, you think, okay, I'm investing this for my daughter or my son. You would think from a generation perspective, then you say, will I buy a stock that's going to go up 20-30% but after that you don't know what happened to it? Mm. Or you buy a stock that goes up 10% every year but eventually it becomes a multi-bagger. So that's the question that retail investors really have to ask themselves. The other thing I want to know is, do mm. you advise retail investors to mm. only use their own 
cash to invest mm. rather than, you know, take up gearing or, you know, take a margin account? Is that mm. something you would tell people, you know, not a good idea? I think, I think Xiaoning, this is um, a very, very core principle of belief in mind. Invest, invest only with excess money. Mm. Never use leverage, never even use margin. I know there are some arguments in this aspect. They say that if I really want to grow, I need some form of margin or leverage to grow my, build my portfolio. Well, that's the whole theory behind hedge yeah, funds, right? Yeah, precisely. But when it comes to a perspective of um, what has happened over the years through the financial crisis, whether short-term cycles or long-term cycles, you see the one that survives are usually those who have sufficient cash buffer and they always, good times or bad times, have enough cash set aside. Even for us, our own fund, we have a 30% cash policy which at all times maintain at the side. Oh, we that's do, quite unusual because yeah. most uh, foreign Precisely. institutional funds have very little cash buffer. Correct, correct. So for us, we have di- different structures. So the reason is because so we can deploy in case anything happens, right? So same thing should be for retail investor. Use only excess cash and at the very least, if anything happens to it, touch wood, you are not only you didn't you not only didn't lose your 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 heart and savings. Mm. You don't even have to take on another debt that you have to repay, and you dig yourself into a deeper hole. So I I'm personally against leverage. Yeah, I've been speaking to Ng Su Han, CEO and founder at TradeView Capital, on how mm. you can be a better retail investor. We'll be taking a short break for some messages. Don't go anywhere. BFM eighty nine point nine. Stay tuned for Ringgit and Cents, powered by Sun Life Malaysia. BFM 89.9. Welcome back. You're tuned in to Ringgit and Sense. I'm Wong Xiaoning. Today, we're discussing good characteristics of retail investors. Joining me to discuss is Ng Zunuhan, CEO and founder at TradeView Capital. Now, for some people, it's a dream to one day not to have to work anymore and have enough money to live off our investments. But if you look at the data... It does show that regular and you assuming that somebody says, okay, I'm going to make all my money from the market. The data shows that can regular investors actually even beat the market or match the benchmarks like the S&P 500? Because I do remember passive funds actually outperforming any active fund manager. I think this comes back to the the whole theory of of investing in the first place, right? So if you say S&P 500 has outperformed, if you look at it from a different perspective, it's probably, you must understand what comprise of S&P 500. It's the 500 best companies uh, in US and the US is still the largest economy, still the world leader. But more importantly, it all has global footprints, right? Mm. So if you look at it from that perspective, S&P 500 is a very good index to just put your money uh, passively and do nothing if you do not know what to do. You know, so that's the very um, strong encouragement that was given by Buffett and some of these leading uh, thoughts uh, or value investors uh, in, in the market. But personally, uh, I would like to offer a different perspective. I've always felt that retail investors, they always feel that they're disadvantaged. They get slower information. They don't know what's going on. They inside. don't have access to yeah. companies like fund managers. Precisely. And, and a lot of these are disadvantaged in the short term. Okay. But not in a larger scale or larger picture. You need to clarify this yeah. though. Because, for example, Shaoning, if you are a retail investor, right, if you buy, let's just say, Maybank or Public Bank, do you buy it for this quarter result, next quarter result, you don't, right? No. You buy it, you park it for the dividend and you hold it for a long period of time, right? Say 5, 10, 20 years, right? This is why we have seen stories of extremely shrewd uh, investors who park their money in this kind of stocks and do nothing for 10, 20 years. But right? then it must go back to yep. buying that right stock Correct. at the right time I mean Correct. in the beginning yeah, right yeah. something that has a long term fundamental story yeah and 
Do you think, uh, let's just say, a foreign fund manager compared to a local retail investor who has the ability to walk into a branch to see how they're doing or talk to people on the ground, that kind of feedback, who would have a, a bigger advantage? Mm. My point of view is that invest in something you can touch, see or understand. That's very important. And then buy something on based on certain conviction. If your belief towards this particular company or, or sector changes, you can always sell it. But let's just say... Uh, in Malaysia's context, we had so many multi-bagger winners that if you go on a stock-selective basis and not sector-based, broad-based, uh, you can actually outperform in a long duration of time, even in the past uh, five years downtrend. I'll just give a very simple example, say uh, MBMR. Mm. MBMR for the longest time was trading about $3 to $3.20. They're the distributor, well, they're one of the shareholders of Perodua, right? Yeah, correct. They are basically, that is the main core of where their income, they deliver about 6 to 7% uh, dividend yield per year. And when uh, I spoke to some of my clients, I said, if you really don't know what to do, just put it in this one. If you believe in the auto sector, they're still the 40, 50% of market share mm. in our country. And, and, and it's been doing very well and severely undervalued. Today it's $4 and 40 or 50 cents, right? So, the question is, how many people will put it there? They won't because it's not sexy, it's not moving. You know, you tell me 6 7%, I'm not interested. But the fact of the matter is that if it's a good company with good yield and there's an upside, then this is something that I feel that um, retail investors would be able to understand. I mean, who would know about MyV apart from Malaysians, right? <laughs> yeah. So this is an, an, an example that I feel that uh, is more relatable to retail investors. But it just yeah. requires some effort from yes, the yes. retail investor, right? right? You do need to do a bit of your homework, yes, your research. Right. Mm. And I suppose you need to keep up to date with what's mm. the company's future plans. Yes, yes, correct. But what if you're not the type, you know, you're not, you're, honestly, this doesn't interest you. Yeah. But you still want to have some mm. exposure to equity markets. Then how should Malaysians consider investing their money for retirement? Yeah, so, um, of course, we are always, I, I'm a big believer of EPF. And I'm so am I. <laughs> I. I'm a big believer in the compound, compounding correct. interest. Yeah, correct. So, I, 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 have to, I have to put it out there and use the opportunity to tell people that um, if you are nearing retire, retirement age and you have the opportunity I feel that you should leave bulk of your funds in the EPF, leave the capital there, enjoy the dividend, spend whatever you like, you've earned mm. it, you know. But I'm a big believer in EPF. If you really do not know what to do, don't take out your money, just put it in the EPF, all right? Let them do the hard work for you, right? Because from the from my perspective and my analysis, EPF has done very well over the years compared to many even pension funds around the world, whether US, Europe or whatever. Even the Hong Kong CPF was underperforming uh, compared to our EPF. It's because of the, the way it's structured, right? The strategic asset allocation strategy where they put some in properties, some foreign, some local. Mm -hmm. It's a very well-balanced, uh, diversified, uh, major uh, portfolio. So when you put your money there, it's actually very safe. Contrary to popular belief saying that, you know... It's a Ponzi uh, scheme, <laughs> People will argue, right? Yeah, right. So, if you look at the track record, they, they've done very well. And under Clause 27 of EPF Act, it guarantees that for the conservative uh, fund, uh, the one who put the conventional funds, the government have to pay you a minimum of 2.5% per year, regardless of what happens. It's in the law. Mm. I don't think any pension funds in the world, apart from EPF, have this kind of a clause that are inbuilt, right? So that is a good place to park your money. And EPF recently increased the voluntary contribution from 60000 to 100000 So if you have spare cash, don't know what to do, just park it there. It's right? better than a, in a way than a fixed deposit, isn't That's it? That's right. Yeah. Okay, but coming back to yeah. the FBM KLCI, I yeah. mean, on a year-to-date basis, is still in positive, yeah. up 4%. So yeah. I was a bit like, whoa, not mm. bad. Good start to mm. the year. Yeah. What are your views on for, for KLCI? Will we actually end the year on a positive note? Because the last few years haven't been great at all. Yeah. 
um, those who have read my writings and, and all would know that I'm a perpetual optimist for this country, <laughs> right? Sometimes they even say misplaced optimism, yeah? But I think um, it has proven right. Uh, I put money, my money where my mouth is. Um, if you look at the past few years, right, there's a, a huge and a good reason why Malaysia's stock market don't perform. Since 2018, we changed four prime ministers, changed multiple government and all. I think, to me, my personal view is that the worst is over, right? But yeah. what about... FBM KLCI, yep. what will drive it? Because yep. if you look at the components of the FBM KLCI, it tends to be very much weighted towards old economy stocks. Mm, yes. And of course, GLCs, where if you look at the return on equity on GLCs, haven't been very good. That's right. So is for Malaysia really bottom up rather than just buying, you know, top down? Yes. I, I For me, it's uh, shouting, I think... Um, FBM KLCI, it's, of course, if we look at historical mean, we always say we are undervalued and all, right? But there are certain good reasons to why we think Malaysia is undervalued, um, apart from the assets, because of the, some of the earnings, you know. Mm. But ultimately, I agree with you, the, the, the issue of our country currently, we need to transition from old economy to new economy, but it's not easy. So I saw two very exciting policies, which I hope will be executed well in the coming years. I think Malaysia is a very blessed country, strategic location, no? The NETR, National Renewable uh, Transformation Roadmap, it's a, it's a, it's a game-changer. Mm. For the longest time, we cannot export uh, power to other countries, even though we have good grid, sufficient power and all. And then you can see we are starting to become a hub for data centers simply because of two reasons, right? We are away from the ring of fire. There's no disaster. Earthquakes. Yeah, right? So a data center needs to, to have that. Second, we have sufficient uh, infrastructure. Power, uh, we are not like uh, Vietnam or Thailand, there's insufficient power. At the same time, there's sufficient water or rainwater. And that's why you can see the government putting a lot of money into upgrading the water sector currently mm. because they know that all these are the important components to attract foreign um, investors. And all these will help us transition or create new sectors and SMEs to go to another level upwards. Just like years ago when Tun Lim Chong Il laid the foundation for semiconductor, I believe that he knew it was important, but he would never have imagined what it would have become today. Uh, okay, so it looks like the outlook is improving, yeah, yeah. we're moving in the right direction yeah. when it comes to policy. Yeah. So I guess the idea is to pick stocks that will be benefiting from these policies. Correct. But I, I do want to know your mm. views on mm. alternatives. Yeah. In You know, there's a lot of noise on it in the last mm. year. We mm. did see mm. the launch of a Bitcoin mm. exchange yeah. traded fund. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, it's not available here. Yeah. But what are your thoughts on it? Because, you know, investing is global nowadays. Correct. Correct. So what do you recommend to clients? Is it something they should be considering? And I think also it goes back to our concept of what, what the uh, regulators deem as a sophisticated investor. Correct, correct, correct. So I think uh, two, two things first. Um, uh, recently, our, our uh, regulator SC issued a media release saying that they have loosened the sophisticated investor requirement. I think this is a pro-market, pro-development move by regulators. Kudos to them. Mm -hmm. uh, basically, they brought down the trajectory or the threshold. Uh, from in the past, you have to have a mean, if you are a retiree, you have to have 3 million in uh, your primary residence value. Today, they drop it to 1 million. Second, and I think the most important is they introduce a new category called knowledge and experience uh, category to constitute sophisticated investors. Because in the past, sophisticated investors are packed to income, right? Today, they say as long as you are you have knowledge in finance, economics, a sufficient working uh, number of years of working experience, say five years and thereabouts, and also if you have certain mem professional membership, CFA, CPA, uh, chartered accountant, you automatically qualify. And this actually broadens up your investment opportunities. Mm. If, if you do not want, you can at least put your funds in some of the uh, fund management companies that take on sophisticated investors. Uh, of course, like ourselves, not promoting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, uh, I'll let that one slide. Yeah. <laughs> And also, for example, um, um, uh, lead market. In the past, um, 
little transactions because um, sophisticated requirement was very strict. And this may actually open up new opportunities. And I think these few reasons, right, has shown that our country's uh, regulators are moving towards promoting the SME upliftment. Mm. So they created a very noble intention, late market, just that the sophisticated investor requirement restricts that, right? The pool is too small. That's right. So then in the end, what they did was they introduced a transfer framework. So lead market now can transfer to ACE market. Ace, yeah. They shortened the ACE market listing procedures and allow, uh, uh, encourage more ACE market listings, which means that it creates opportunity for new companies to come in, which answers your question about transitioning from old economy to new economy, right? Because new economy stocks, they may not have the earnings or market cap at the main market yet. But these are all long-term process, which at least I see they are structural ch- changes that are happening. So coming back to it, one more thing is that I feel that if you talk about Bitcoin and crypto and mm. all this, um, my personal view, even though I'm quite young, is that um, I'm not uh, particularly... Um, um, a fan? A fan of it. Uh, simply because I cannot put a value to it. When I cannot put a value to something or I at least cannot understand a particular investment, I cannot... You don't have the conviction. That's right. I cannot put my heart on money there. I think understanding is very important. And I feel that retail investors, if you really want to start off investing, do not start off investing in things that you do not understand or hard to understand, right? I know, I, I mean, it's sexy to see uh, the, share, the the prices of cryptocurrencies going up and down one day, 20, 30%. I, I, I mean, that's something that's very exciting. And, and a lot of youngsters that I know do not have a CDS account, but has a crypto, crypto account. account. Yeah. I think that speaks volume. So, Coming back to it is that I would encourage retail investors to start off with investing in companies and and based off fundamentals. And if you understand that, grabs it, then only consider alternative investments. At least that is my personal view. And um, maybe mm. a final word of advice. Yeah. Is it true that you shouldn't believe anyone that guarantees a return or sure thing investment? Definitely. If something is too good to be true, it's nev- often never true. And really, I do not believe in Duran Runto. Um, even if there's Duran Runto, it doesn't happen to majority of us. Uh, most of it, my personal belief is that in life, you really have to work for something, even investing. I know it's a chore. You're so busy, you're tired after work. Looking at numbers again is a bit difficult. So I think you can start off by low risk, dividend yielding, long-term blue chip names, you know. And then from there, you, 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 you start off your journey as and when you want. You don't have to do a lot of, probably just four or five and start off with that and a small amount of excess cash. And ultimately, I think, try to avoid anything that tells you that you put my money here, you get a quick return. It's a, usually it's a scam. That's all the time we have for Ringgit and Sense. I've been speaking to Ng Zuhan, CEO and founder at TradeView Capital. Join us next week for more discussions on personal finance. We have the 10am News Bulletin coming up next, followed by my colleagues at Enterprise. I'm Wong Xiaoning from The Morning Run, BFM 89.9. Ringgit and Sense was powered by Sun Life Malaysia. Insure to ensure today. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.